So we have um, a speaker from our family, Andrew Hooskamp. Uh, if you don't, you can come up. If you don't know Andrew, he's pretty awesome. Uh, we served on the youth steering team for a number of years, mm -hmm. and you are still a bus driver. No, I'm teaching now. Oh, that's news to me. We yeah. We're good friends. When did you start doing? We got uh, Just last it. year. Just last year. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. you were driving a bus. I was, for, for a number of years, yes. Yeah. Yep. And so now you're a teacher, apparently, so yeah. that's good. Right, it's really fun. And um, I'm super excited. He, he just, I remember serving with him, he hears the Lord. Like, you need to know that. Like, this isn't just something he sat down and wrote, but he hears the Lord. And he actually was our primary teacher when we worked together for you. Mm -hmm. And so um, I'm super excited to hear what you have to say and take it away. Okay. Thank you, Adam. I always start off, uh, and I know we have multiple prayer moments, but I always start off with prayer. So let's pray together. God, I just thank you so much for this day that we have the privilege of gathering here um, free to hear your word, free to share your story, and free to explore. And I just ask that you will be with us, that you'll be speaking to us individually, even as you speak to us collectively. Amen. Okay, so as Adam said, um, as far as work things goes, because that's often like, you know, when you meet someone, you're like, oh, what's your work? So I currently am a teacher with North Shore Christian Academy teaching seventh grade English and Bible. I know. So it's, I am one of those people, I just find middle school students so funny. I think they're great. And that's why I love teaching them. And I love stories and I love God. And so I'm in this um, perfect nexus of just being who I am and who God has made me to be with these young people telling stories. Okay. And aside from that, you know that right now, my other favorite thing in life is, well, actually my most favorite thing are my three children. Okay. So Malachi is three. He'll say he's three. He's almost four. Not till November. We're, we're keeping them three as long as we can. And then Dara and Lydia are our twin girls who are, I'm still saying one and a half, even though it's more like one and three quarters. They're inching towards two in October, right? And that right now is just the joy of life, um, is being, being a dad, right? And I, I was just home in Sydney, Montana, because that's where I grew up. Um, my mom's here. My wife is here. There's Michelle. Oh, there you go. Um, I was home with family, right? And as, as we were playing with my kids, uh, we, we were playing baseball with Malachi, and, and he was the center fielder, right? And, and he had me pitching, and he had, you know, we had this little bat, and, and I would pitch, and my dad would hit it, and then he would go get it. And we'd say, good job, center fielder. And then he'd say, yay, center fielder, right? Or he'd be like, good hit. And then he'd say, good hit. Or we'd say, strike one. And he'd say, strike one, right? And it was just the joy of being exuberant almost four. But no three, right? Because we're keeping them three. And as that was happening, my dad and I were walking inside. And he looks and he's like, man, don't you just wish you could bottle up all these little things so you don't forget them? Right? And that got me thinking because there are so many things that we just don't want to forget, right? And, and we don't want to forget those joys in life. And we don't want to forget so many things. And I'm one of those people, I don't know about you, I am one of those people that can at times be forgetful, especially in comparison to my wife, right? And so I will forget some of those stories. And a lot of times it, it's the, the mundane things like where are my keys? Where's my lacrosse ball? Where, where, where did I put these things? And I forget these things that are, are just temporary and kind of troublesome, but not problematic. Then there are going to be those uh, bigger things that we can tend to forget that have more consequences. Like if you forget somebody's birthday or anniversary, some of those important things, right? That you don't, you don't want to forget that. 
Um, but I know that we as people tend to forget. And sometimes we forget the really important things, the formational things. And today in particular, we're going to be talking about stories that we tend to forget, right? Because we can forget these stories that define us. So with that being said, um, prayer, I believe, is Robert Kelly. So Robert, as you know, is great. He is wonderful. He's, he's man, oh, man, awesome. Robert Kelly. So Robert Kelly, if you will, <laughs> if you will pray for us and for the sermon, that would be wonderful. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for Andrew. Thank you that he is someone who seeks to love you with all his heart and his mind and all his strength and all his soul, Lord. Um, and I pray that you would speak to us through him, that it would be your words, um, that you would bring to each of us the remembrance of the things that you've done, um, the things that you've taught us about in your word, but also the things that you've done in each of our lives individually, Lord, that we would not forget, that we would bring those things to mind, that we would speak them to each other, um, that this would be a day of remembering the good things that you've done. And I pray that you would just thwart any attack of the enemy to remind us of the current troubles or the current problems or the current things that we don't know how you're going to deal with, Lord. Um, and that instead this would be a day of, of praise for you um, and of enjoyment of you and who you are and what you've done. Um, and Lord, I lift up uh, Southlands Church in Brea, California, and pray that your, uh, your love and peace would just be spread there today, God, as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Robert. So let me explain the type of stories that we often forget, and I'll do it with the story itself. The other day, Michelle and I were talking, and she told this story that I had forgotten about, right? This formational story. She said, I think my, well, I'll, I'll just tell the story. So Michelle was explaining how when Malachi was two, he was going through a hitting stage, Right? Like one of those moments where he, he, he'd, get, he'd get angry and he'd make his little fist. And the cute thing about it was, he's like, Malachi, are you going to hit me? Yes! Right? Um, but the awful thing was, Malachi was not being the person God made him to be. Right? He was hitting Michelle. He was hitting me. He was just, he'd, he'd get, he wouldn't get his way and he'd, he'd hit. And we had tried all sorts of things. We, we tried doing that. And this was right when the girls were really little. So obviously like his world was different. Our world was different. Um, and I was gone, but he, he was throwing a tantrum because it was about naps, whether he didn't want to go or he didn't want to go to the bathroom before he went or he didn't want to do whatever, but he was throwing a nap and he, he'd hit Michelle and Michelle was at wit's end. And she said, she just took him onto her lap and she sat down and she hugged him and she said, Malachi, I just don't know what to do. I, I'm just, I'm at my own. So we're just going to stop and we're going to pray and we're going to talk to God. And she just prayed with Malachi, just like, God, just help Malachi with his hitting. And then she said, Malachi, can, can you think of what you can do so that you want to stop hitting? And he said, no. And, and she got him, and she took him, and, and he went down, and he took his nap. And, you know, a couple hours later, um, as is his case, he sleeps, and she hears him waking up. And then he's content. He often reads books for a while. And she, she hears him reading, and after a while, she goes in, and she sees him on the floor reading his little kid's Bible with the pictures. And she says, Malachi, what are you doing? And he's reading it, and his response was, God's taking away my hitting. 
And in that moment, God took away his hitting. That was, that was if you want to call it the tipping point, because after that, I mean, he's hit a couple times, but it's nothing like what it was, because God took away his hitting. And the worst part is I forgot that story. Right? I, could, I did not remember this. Michelle started this conversation by saying, I think my favorite spiritual formation for Malachi was when God took away his hitting. And I said, what? Because <laughs> I didn't remember that story. And here's the scary part. is if Michelle had forgotten it and I had forgotten it, Malachi would never hear it because he might be too young to remember. And what happens is that Sometimes we will forget these stories and we forget the glory of who God is and we forget what God has done in our life. We forget that yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And God is forming us when we are too dealing with hitting because we are the work of God's hand. We forget that you have searched me, O Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. We forget that God has been walking with us from the time we were two. From before that, because this is the famous psalm where it says that you knit us together in my mother's womb. And for Dara and Lydia and even for Malachi, but for our twins in particular, it was one of those high-risk pregnancies where God was evident that he was with them in Michelle's womb. And that is a story that they will never know if we do not tell them. And these are the foundational stories that are the stories that shape us, that define us, that we tell over and over and over. And yet, when we forget They go away. And as those stories wander away, the funny thing is that we tend to wander away right with them. And we see this repeated throughout all of Israel's history, how there's this pattern that we know from the Old Testament where God's people come close to God and then they begin to fall away from God and they come close and they fall away and they forget. And unfortunately, we see that pattern at work in our lives as well. Because with these stories that we're told, if we forget them, we begin to just forget who we are and who God has made us to be in big and small ways. And we're going to take a look in Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah is writing to the Israelite people at a time when they have forgotten this story. So Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, I'm going to read the whole section. The word of the Lord came to me, go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us up out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, through a land of deserts and ravines, a land of drought and utter darkness, a land where no tra one travels and no one lives. I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and its produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. 
The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal, following worthless idols. Therefore, I bring charges against you again, declares the Lord, and I will bring charges against your children's children. Cross over the coast of Cyprus and look, send to Cater the, and observe closely. See if there's ever been anything like this. Has a nation ever changed its gods if they're not gods at all? But my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. Be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder at great horror, declares the Lord. You see, when we forget the stories, when we forget to ask, who was it that brought us out of Egypt? Who was it that led us through the desert? Who was it that led me when I was young? When we forget asking those questions, when we stop asking who was that God, and when we forget those stories, we get to this point where we somehow exchange the glory of God for some other story that has taken part of our lives. We exchange that story of who God is, of the God that brought his people from the most powerful nation through the desert, sustaining them day by day, despite everything they had done. to the point where we should say, be appalled at this, you heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. Now, we often are not raising golden calves in the wilderness and declaring them our gods. We are not, right? Like, we're not doing that. We're not worshiping Baal or putting up Asherah poles. That's what the Israelites did. But what we do do is we commonly allow these other narratives to take part of our lives. Here's a very mundane example. As many of you know, and as Adam rightly stated, we are essentially in fall because the Seahawks just had their first preseason game. Okay? And for me, I love the fall, and I love the Seahawks, and I think that is like, I look forward throughout the year. I cheered when we drafted Shaquem Griffin. If you don't know, look it up. It's a great story. Right? I, I, it was literally one of those moments my sister and I will look at it and be like, yes, we remember that. Okay? And I get so wrapped up in the Seahawks story that I was thinking to myself the other day, if I read my Bible as faithfully as I checked the Seahawks webpage, I'd be doing pretty well. And the thing is, it's not like the Seahawks are evil by any means, but what happens is that I, because I have this great love for football, and because I have particularly this love for Seahawks football, I invest more of myself and my story in that story, in the story of wrapping up with the Seahawks that I forget to lose focus on other things to the point where Michelle and I have had to talk through this in marriage of like, Andrew, what are you doing? And now I've gotten to the healthy point where it's like, okay, I don't get so caught up, right? But you know, you get caught up on the phone. And my guess is that many of you have stories like that as well in the mundane and everyday world, right? Phones in our society right now are one of those stories. We get caught up on whatever Facebook story, whatever post it is, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Netflix, we can get lost on Netflix. We can get lost in these stories that take us so far out where we lose a bit of our identity in whatever narrative is coming at us. And when we get lost in that and we begin to invest in that so heavily that it's taking this emotional toll that we are, it's pulling us away from here where God has put us and it is pulling us step by step, inch by inch, away from who God is to the point be appalled. 
right? And when you recognize that, obviously the, the great thing is to turn and repent and to go back, right? To, to have those conversations of mundane Seahawks-ness, right? But this list, it, it's not just narratives like that. There are other stories that take over our lives, right? If you think of Paul, how he lists all those sins, right? Anger, rage, um, slander, and filthy language from your lips, um, sexual morality, idolatry, right? Like, like all those lists, like I could have put them up, but I'll just let you think of them because they're, you know, whatever. And, and I'll let you think of them because God will convict you of whatever one is calling upon you. Right? And be rid of all things such as this, is anger, rage, malice. For me right now, it's a bit of anger, right? And I don't know how I got there, but I've recognized that I've been slowly pulled bit by bit to where, and, and as, you, as many of you know, you're like, anger? You're not an angry person. I, I'm, I've, I've always been a privately angry person, right? And, and here's the craziest thing, is as I've been pulled pit by bit, it's just, it's just there, and it's just what I'm saying, why not let God deal with it? Especially because, listen to this story. So when I was a young child, um, like elementary, late elementary school years, I was very privately angry, right? Like, like I just, this, this anger would just like, and erupt. Right? But it would always, I would contain it because I never wanted anybody to know I was angry because I really shouldn't be angry. So I'd be angry, but, but the eruptions would never occur with other people. Right? It'd be myself, private, when I knew that the house was gone, whatever. Um, and it's not like I was like, a, like an overly angry, but I was angry. Like I was an angry, angry child. And, and this is a story that, um, for some of the youth, they've heard this, right? Because this is a story I've told of what God has done. And I've been angry. And I was so angry one day, um, I remember I was in sixth grade, I don't remember exactly what happened, I think it was at recess, I was a very small child, and I love sports, and sometimes when you're small and you're playing football, you get pushed, right? And I'm pretty sure I had been like, picked on and pushed around at recess. I'm, I'm fairly certain that's what happened. All I remember is being so angry that I rode my bike home faster than I'd ever ridden home before. And I got home and I realized that mom and dad were gone, my sister was gone, and that's when I'm like, okay, so I'm going to let this anger come out, and we have this big metal door, so I just turned and slammed it as hard as I could, and that wasn't enough, so I need it, just like that. And I looked down, and in the metal door, there was a dent about this big. And it was one of those moments where I prayed the most earnest prayer I've ever prayed. I remember I just put my back against the door and slid down, and I said, God, you've got to take this away. And in one of those like surreal moments, it was as if I was being drained, right? Like it was as if like, like a draining coming down, flowing down, and God took that anger out of me. And that's one of those moments, those moments that like Malachi, I want him to build his story that God has taken away his hitting. I want to build my story and God has taken away my anger. And yet, part of the reason I tell that story today is because the more I tell it, the more I remember that this little anger that I'm dealing with now with my kids at times when it shouldn't be, God has taken that away. And if I forget that story, if I forget that God has taken it away, if I stop telling myself that story and listen to these other voices that come saying, you're angry, it's okay. You're not that angry. 
You're angry. Uh, it's fine. But if I listen back to the story that God has already put in my life, I have a feeling, well, actually, I know because I believe that God will take my anger away again. It'll just be a little bit different this time because God tends to work in different ways. And yet he works in different ways by drawing upon these same stories. For me, I need to remember the story of how God healed me from anger. For you, what are those stories? Because first of all, recognize that something is pulling you away from who God is. There is something as, as big, as maybe as mundane as the Seahawks, as much as anger, or worse, right? But not even worse, because you know what? When I am, God doesn't quantify worse, God just wants us close. So whatever has pulled you away is worst. And whatever that is that God brings up, I believe that God and his Holy Spirit convicts us and says, come back to me. And I think that the best way to do it, at least the way that we're going to look at today, is through stories that define us. Because I was reading through Esther, and if you don't know Esther, I'm not going to actually ruin the story. I'm just going to tell you it's a great story where God does great things, just like God does great things in our lives today. And at the end of the story... We have Esther chapter 9. Therefore, these days were called Purim from the word Pur because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what they had happened to them. And I'm not going to tell you what they had seen and what had happened. Go, go read the story if you don't know it. And by the way, if you do know it, I just read it with my seventh graders in the fall again. All right, I mean in the spring. It is a great story. It is a story of God at work through normal people, and you could not write a better script. So, as a teaser find out what they had seen and what had happened, but the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated. These days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants." Within our own scriptures, we are commanded to remember these stories. Because remember, God is the one who put this book in our Bible. Right? The Jews took it upon themselves, but God was directing that. And if you, look, think, if you just think in your mind of, of your own knowledge of scripture and who God is, the altars that his people built, crossing the Jordan, putting up standing stones, so that when the children would look, they would say, Remember. Throughout scripture, God is constantly asking us, reminding us to remember and celebrate his story. Exodus chapter 12, a prime example of this, the one I alluded to earlier of how God took his people out of Egypt. As they are leaving, now, now notice this is Exodus 12. They have not even left yet within the narrative. Granted, Exodus was written much longer afterwards as a reminder of what had happened to the God's people. But Exodus chapter 12, celebrate, celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come in the first month you are to eat the bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. God instituted this festival, this constant yearly reminder of what he had done to pull his people out of Egypt. A celebration of story, 
a remembrance of what God had done. I did not click to where I wanted to. There we go. Okay, a few verses later, Exodus 12. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants when you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe the ceremony. When you trust that God will complete the work that he has started in you, continue to celebrate this story. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So notice the people do what God asked. They celebrate the story. And the response, the people bowed down and worshiped. Because I fully believe that sharing stories, sharing what God has done in our lives is a spiritual act of worship. It is a way for us to praise who God is, to celebrate what God has done for us. And as you see, it's for you and your descendants. Because the stories that we share shape us. They define us. And in Psalm 78, we hear that they define our children. Because my people hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth to the parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. Now, within Psalm 78, it goes on to describe those wonders that God has done. And as far as sharing the story for the next generation, as Adam said, I've worked with youth, I drove school buses, I'm a teacher now, I love kids. And my heart and passion is to share who God is with those young people. And the crazy thing, if I was a statistics person, I'd look it up, but what I've observed personally and heard professionally is that most young people do not know their parents' story of faith. And if they don't know their parents, do they know their grandparents, aunts, uncles? The collective story of the United States, of Christendom? You see, you're here today, and, and if you don't know God, this is a great day. If you do know God, then you have grafted yourself into his story. You have put yourself in the midst of God's story and God has done mighty things in your life. And we forget them. Or we forget to share them. Because what happens is when we share stories, when I share stories of God teaching a two-year-old not to hit, you might think to yourself, maybe I, I, God can heal me too. When I share of how God healed me as a sixth grader and he's having to heal me again, you think to yourself, you know what? God's healed me in the past and maybe he can heal me again. And when we are able to engage and willing to share these stories, we can share about who God is and what God has done in our lives. And I think it's so important, not only just because we recognize the vast importance of it, but, but even looking, Jesus modeled this for us. Because you see, in a famous story that we know, most of us know the story of how the boy Jesus went to the temple. They go up to Jerusalem. He's in the temple. 
he gets lost from his parents, and his parents come back, and he's like, what? didn't you know I'd be at my father's house? But look at how that story starts. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Every year, Jesus' parents took him to Jerusalem to celebrate God's story, the story of the Israelites being taken out of Egypt. And then, as an adult, Jesus models this with his disciples. He instructs them to continue sharing God's story. The joy of today is that we're going to be modeled just like Jesus has been modeled. Right, like just as Jesus models his disciples, we're going to allow God to shape us and share some of our stories. Because as Kurt often, and, and Kurt says it so well, part of it is you have to know God's story, right? These Sunday Devos, communities, outreach, right? This is actively joining in God's story. But for today, we are going to go and make preparations for sharing God's story, not necessarily the Passover, but for whatever story you have. So what I want you to do right now, because I am, as, I am a teacher, right? I teach, and, and I, it, it, sitting and listening to somebody talk, it, it, uh, I always find it boring myself, so I'm sorry. But what I want you to do right now is I want you to reach, you should have a pen and um, the back of that bulletin. Okay, so find a pen or a bulletin in you. And what we're going to do is I'm going to help you remember some of God's stories in your life. Okay. I'm going to help you remember what these stories are, and I'm going to, I'm going to what I do, it's called overprompting. okay? And I'm an English teacher, which means that what happens is I teach seventh grade students how to write. I teach them how to organize their thoughts. And one of the things that we do is um, we call it a free write where we just write, and I do it in particular where it's a free write without stopping. So for the next two minutes, and it's only two minutes, I'm going to be listing questions and you're just going to write without stopping. And, and, and you can doodle. I say doodling is a form of writing. If you want to draw a comic of what God has done in your life, please do. If you want to do whatever, but just for the next two minutes, I'm going to list some questions, and I just want you to begin writing aspects of your story. Okay? So here's the first one. What is your earliest memory of God? Might be today, might be a while ago, but just jot down the earliest memory of God. And if you get, if one of these stories resonates in you, just ignore me and write the rest of the time, right? So, what is your earliest memory of God? Do you have a favorite scripture verse? If so, why? What is the story that made that? Scripture, your favorite. And once again, if you're on those prompts, keep going. If you're like, okay, I'm kind of waiting, then has God ever healed you physically? Emotionally?
is one person you know God sent into your life that you might know God better? What did that person do for you? Let me frame this one a little bit. God often told his people to erect monuments or they had the Ark of the Covenant that was a symbol of who God was in their midst. Is there any object in your house or in your life that is representative of what God has done for you? Is there something that when you pass by it, it could be a spot on the side of the road, it could be, I don't know, whatever, but is there some object or some possession that you have that you know God gave you, right? Is, but essentially, is there something that reminds you of God? What is the story behind that? What is one failure that God redeemed? And what's that story? What is one failure God redeemed? And what is that story? And now my favorite, for multiple reasons, being that if you're farthest removed from school, you will have the most homework. Well, not homework, the most work. I want you to jot down each decade and a single word that describes a story of God working in your life during that decade. If you're in elementary school or like, like, like if you're in the 20s, you can subdivide your life and you'll get at least four. But try to think of one of God's works in each of the decades of your life. So I'm going to give you about 20 more seconds to keep writing wherever you happen to be at. You got about 10 seconds left, so wrap up your thoughts, make a little jot. Okay, and the final thing, which is what I always tell my seventh graders, and I'm going to have you do in particular, in really big letters across the top, write your name. And then write, like, I would write Andrew's story. And you can write, obviously, your name, story, right? But make it really big. Because what we're going to do now, especially for those of you like me, because you, I don't mind getting up here and talking. If I'm comfortably sitting in my seat, I do not really want to talk to somebody on Sunday mornings. But I know it's best for us. So here's what I want you to do right now. I'm going to give you about five minutes. I want you to turn to the people next to you and just choose one of those stories to share. Because I believe that as God's people, 
we need to hear each other's stories and celebrate what God has done for us, both now and in the past. So we're going to have about five minutes. It'll be a really uncomfortable silence, or you can just keep writing if you're like, but, but five minutes, ready, go. You've got about one minute left. 
Okay. Go ahead and take the next 15 seconds to wrap up your conversation. So come on back. The beauty of this is that we'll get to continue sharing stories um, throughout the day, okay? And part of me is like, oh man, I guess I should have just like dismissed it with that. But my, my, he, he, before we move on from here, here's what I want to encourage you to do. When we have our last song, because we'll have our last song, and then because it's me preaching, we're going to get done much earlier than normal. <laughs> so that means that when the song ends, I'd encourage you to, if, you're, if I interrupted a conversation, to ask somebody else to share one of their stories. Ask them about the favorite story from their favorite decade. Okay, so that's your prompt. Favorite story from your favorite decade. But I had one more story that I wanted to share with you. Okay, because this exemplifies what we've been talking about today. So, Last spring, my parents came out, and in October, so almost a year ago, we had built this really cool playhouse, but we did not have a slide. And I have been sharing this story ever since it happened, because I've just been like, whoa! Right? Um, so we did not have a slide, and I had been looking on Craigslist off and on, because I, I don't know if you're in the market for kids' slides, but they're kind of expensive. Right? And my mom had wanted a twirly slide, and, we, and um, I was hoping for just like a, just a, any slide. And I had been looking on Craigslist off and on, and looking on like on other internets, or like trying to like find a slide, because in the stores they're like very expensive. And there had just been no luck, particularly because we built this platform ourselves. So the platform was five feet, four inches, instead of the standard slide height of four feet. Four feet. All that to say, I had been looking and looking and looking and looking for a slide. And my parents are out in October, and you know, as, as a son, I, I mean, sorry, they, they'd been out in October, built it, we'd left it slideless because the kids were little. This spring in April, they'd come out, and I was like, okay, I, I, I'm going to pray for a slide, right? Because we, we need to find a slide. Because I, for them, I want mom and dad to feel like it's complete, that the kids can go down the slide. The kids are old enough, it's going to be summer, I want them to go down slides. And so one day, Malachi kind of woke up from his nap, kind of, ah, and I went in and rubbed his back, and he fell back asleep. And as he's fallen asleep, he slept for about 10 minutes, and I was just praying that time, just like, God, like, give us a slide, like, you know, mm. I look at my phone, like, is there no one on Craigslist now after I prayed? No. So I'm praying, like, okay, God, give us a slide, and then Malachi kind of wakes up, Daddy, what are you doing? Kind of like, why are you in here? I wake up by myself. And... Like, well, Malachi, Daddy's praying for a slide for our playset. And his reaction was, no! And I said, no? You don't want me to pray for a slide? No! Well, Malachi, why don't you want me to pray for a slide? You need to pray for three slides! <laughs> and I'm like, oh, Malachi, are you sure we need to pray for three slides? Yes! Well, why don't you pray for three slides? No! You need to pray for three slides. 
And in one of those moments where the Holy Spirit speaks through a two-year-old, well, three-year-old, not yet four, three-year-old, I say, are you sure, Malachi? Do we need to pray for three? Yes, you need to pray for three slides. I'm like, okay. And so we just prayed out loud, God, please give us three slides. Pray that prayer. And then, you know, a little bit of the Holy Spirit conviction, I download another app, and I look on it, and there is this um, playhouse with two slides. That's a reasonable price. So I'm like, oh, man. And like, there's this other like, little slide that pops up. I'm like, man, I, I'm, I, I, this might be happening. And so I get there, and we, my dad and I go to check out this playhouse that this guy is selling that we're probably just going to dismantle it. It's actually, the wood itself became our planter boxes because it wasn't that great. But the slides were great. And we, when we got up there, wouldn't you know, three slides. <laughs> Within 24 hours of this little childhood prayer, God had given us three slides. And I share this story wherever we go because I want Malachi to know that when he prays, God answers. I want him to know that when he goes down that slide and the joy that God has given him, it's because God gave him the slides because he prayed. And so I've been sharing that story, and I'll tell you, it's built my faith, right? That's what kids do to you. And I've been sharing that story, and as I said, I'm a teacher, and I've spoke at the chapel, and at this Christian school, I shared this story of God answering Malachi's prayer for three slides. And I spoke in chapel, and about a week later, I'm, you know, hurriedly like, oh, no, I need something for class. I got to walk across the building. And Jake's mom, Jake is one of my little, my seventh grade guys. I can't call him little. Um, he's one of my seventh grade guys. But his mom is, is walking on the other side, and she's like, I heard about your miracle. And I'm thinking to myself, what miracle? And then she's like, three slides, that's really cool. And I'm like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, Oh, that is a miracle. <laughs> and then I think to myself, in order for her to know that, it meant that Jake went home and told her. Which means that the story of what God has done through Malachi has come to me and then through the seventh grade Jake and into her life. And that's what God does with our stories. As he shares them, because they're not just for us. It's for the generations and for our future kids. One story that we celebrate is communion. And Justine, I'm going to have you come up. Because this isn't, and Justine, I thought about Justine asking, because I, I, I've never led communion, and so I normally I don't. And Justine came up and was like, you know, I think this is a good opportunity for you to do so. But what I recognize, Justine, is part of it is it's not just my story, it's God's story and God working at the church. So I did not even realize that I was preparing the sermon that the celebration we have each week is a celebration of God's story of what Jesus had done on the cross. Justine did, so I'm going to let her lead. Well, I think you just did, Andrew. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. And I shared then. You guys, reach in front of you and grab your communion. You know, Jesus was having Passover with his guys before he was going to the cross, and he took one of the cups that was scheduled for them to drink, right? It was a celebration that they'd done over and over and over, and he kind of, like, repurposed it. Doesn't God do that in our lives a lot? <laughs> he takes things that have become rote and traditional, and he puts new life into it. So Luke 22 um, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
So take the bread and know this is Jesus' body given for you. Take it in remembrance of him. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. It's for the forgiveness of our sins. It's for the healing of our wounds. It's to give new life in dead places. Isn't that amazing? Take this in remembrance of what Jesus has done for you. Yahweh, we thank you. We thank you for all of these traditions that you have woven into our lives, but we thank you that you breathe new life into them every single time, that you are alive and present and you care about us and you put stories in our lives that build us and equip us and transform us, God. You're so good. Holy Spirit, remind us of the things we've forgotten. Stir it up in our hearts to be people who remember the works of the Lord. And another thing that we do in remembrance of God's goodness is we give tithes and offerings to him. So we're going to take our offering now. Um, Ushers, come on forward. And we give to the Lord and we give to the house of God to remind ourselves that everything we have is his, right? And God's amazing because he multiplies our gifts and he does miracles every single time with the pennies that we offer. Isn't he good? So good. Okay, Lord, we bring our gifts to you, our hard-earned money from jobs that you gave us, from sources that are all ending up as you as the source, God. You are our source. And we bring our tithe our 10%, and we bring our offerings, our love gifts above and beyond, and we bring them to you as our worship, as our um, holy act of honoring you, Lord. Take our gifts, God, and expand it. Do your miracle work. That this money would bring people to know you. That this money would provide for people in miracle ways, Lord. We love you, God. In your name, Jesus. Amen.